Welcome to Calvary. It's good to have you here with us, all of you that are here with us on our campus, all of you that are joining with us online and on YouTube. We are glad that you have jumped in as well and that you are engaging and hope that you are doing that, taking advantage of uh, the Bible and the notes and the chance to engage with one another, but glad that you are here and uh, excited to be in week two of a series called Unhindered. Unhindered. We believe that God has, God, this creative, this unconditionally loving God has created us for more. No matter how much you have achieved in life, no matter how much he has blessed, no matter how much he has worked in you and through you, you were created for more. You were created for more. And the problem is that we allow some things in our life to hinder us from living in that freedom and in the grace that God gives to us. So we are in this series called Unhindered, Letting Go and Living Free. That's what we want you to do. Last week we began the series by talking about our narrative. Our narrative. And some of you, if you just let me review real quickly, if you're coming in this week for the first time, our narrative is our story. It's the events and the experiences in our life, the events and experiences in our early life as we were growing up, even as we have moved through on into adulthood, it's these events and experiences that they kind of push us to view life through the prism of that narrative, through the prism of that story. How do you see life? And unfortunately, what we found out is that our narrative, our story, and each of us has a different one, if we're not careful, those thoughts that those events and experiences bring our direction, they can build up and they can become strongholds that keep us from living in the grace and the freedom that God wants us to enjoy. Jesus came to give us eternal life. Jesus came to give us heaven. And that is an awesome thing that we have to look forward to. But Jesus also said, I have come to give you life to the full. Life right here on earth that is to be experienced in the abundance of my grace. The devil is going to come and he's going to try to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come to give you life. And how does he come to steal and kill and destroy? He starts with our thoughts. He starts with the way that we look and view life. So last week we talked about our narrative, and I, I thought that for this week I, I wanted to extend that just a bit, and I wanted to break that down even a little bit more. This week we got a, uh, we got a Christmas card. <laughs> now you're like, seriously? It's really, er really early or um, way late. It's way late, okay? And, and, and the people who sent us the card, they had sent it to an old address. And, and, and what they did was when they got it returned to them, they kept it in the original envelope in order, I guess, first of all, to prove that they had sent it before Christmas. And they put it in another envelope and sent it to our current address. And, and, and there it is. There's a picture of the envelope. Now, the only reason I put it up there, and unfortunately, you probably can't really see it, but in the circle, there's some writing. 
And in big, bold letters, it says, this family has not lived here in seven years. Okay? Now, can I tell you something? That's not from the post office. Okay? They didn't write that on there. Evidently, this family who now lives in that address has maybe received a few pieces of mail to the walkers. And they're sick and tired of it. This family has not lived here. Stop sending us walker mail. And so they sent it back to the post office, and the post office sent it back to the original sender, and they forwarded it to us. Evidently, seven years no longer gives you a forwarding address. But we got it. Ultimately, it found its way to our house, and we got it. A few months late, but it came. Can I give you a really dumb analogy of that? Doesn't it seem like for some of you, you have moved on in life? You, you, you have tried to move on. You've tried to move on even in your walk with Jesus. You've, you've tried to move on in your relationship with God. You have tried to move on in your season of life. You have matured. You have aged. You might even be taking care of people. Maybe you got married. Maybe you had kids. Maybe now you even have grandkids. You've moved on, but you turn around and it seems like nothing has changed. Nothing's any different. Can, can I tell you why? Because wherever you are, there you are. And I'm not trying to be smart. But what I'm saying is wherever you happen to be, even though you have moved on, even though you have tried a career, a different style of life, uh, uh, you've gotten married, you've had kids, you've moved on in these seasons of life, wherever you are, your thoughts seem to just continually find you. They get forwarded to whatever address you happen to be. In fact, some of you thought, you know, if I just move houses. But your thoughts continually find you. Wherever you are, there they are. And maybe, maybe if we want to move forward, if we want to move on, if we want to experience this grace of God, we have got to change our thought process. And Paul says, look, this is war. This isn't three points and an illustration and a cloud of dust and away you go. This is a battle. And, and the only way you're going to change the way you think is one thought at a time. In fact, let's, let's be reminded of what Paul says to us. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you are online, I really encourage you, use that Bible tab unless you've got it there in front of you. Maybe you've got a Bible sitting on your lap or you've got it on your phone, but I encourage you to look along and follow in God's word because this, this is what changes your mindset. This is what will change your thought process. God's word, seeing life from his perspective. So Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, I beg you, I beg you. What's he saying? This is a game changer. I beg you, 
That when I come, I won't have to be as bold as I expect to be. I'm expecting to have to basically kind of beat you over the head with this one. But I'd rather that you just pick up on it right away. I'm going to have to be bold to people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Some of you are actually, you're sitting there now. Some of you are watching me online and you're saying, there's no way I can do this. Congratulations. There's your first step towards understanding. Paul says, no, in and of yourself, you can't change the way you think. You can't change your attitudes. But here's the deal. We don't work with the same weapons as the world does. We have divine weapons. We have divine power. We have the power that comes from knowing God, talking with God, and listening to God. And therefore, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and we bend it. We conform it. You ever see those strong men? And they, they take a, a steel bar and they just start bending that bar. That's what you and I have to do. We have to, we have to bend. We have to conform our thoughts. It's those same guys that tear up yellow pages. You ever see that? When I was younger, we had strong, you know, they even had a Christian group. They'd come to church or camp or something or a rally, and they'd tear up a, a phone book. My wife pulled out the phone book from our drawer the other day. Do you have one? Do you ever get a Yellow Pages? It's like about that thin, right? So you know what I did? I grabbed the Yellow Pages, and I went, Bleh. I just ripped it in half. I can rip those Yellow Pages up. Yeah, because they're about one-third their size, <laughs> Can we, though, conform our thoughts? Can we bend our thoughts to conform to the knowledge, to the mind, to the attitudes of Christ? It's not easy. But Paul says this is a game changer, man. If you can pick up on this, if you can realize the importance of this, because the way you view life is the way you will live life. Change your perspective, change your life. That's why it's so important. So, today I'm going to give you three points and an illustration and a cloud of dust and away we go. But it's not going to be the end. You have to, you're the only one. You're the only one who can determine I am going to allow this to make a difference in the way that I think. And it is not easy. It's not easy. Last week, we were talking about this, talking about strongholds, talking about our, 
our thought process and our narrative and all that kind of thing. And finally, I was ready to go, and, and I'm usually the last one. It's either me or Gerardo, usually the last one out the door. And, and I left, and I'm on my way to get something to eat, and I called my wife to see if she needed me to pick something up. And as I'm driving, I'm talking to her, but I'm also talking to, remember last week I told you I got a real problem with people that are driving these days, you know, they're just because they're angry. And then I got angry with the guy in front of me while I was talking to her, and she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The guy that preached at our church just talked about that. Oh, yeah, that's right. You can forget about it as soon as you drive out of the parking lot. That's why Paul says this, this thing is a war, man. It's not going to be over just like that, but you can do it. How? We're going to take captive every thought. This is going to be a thought by thought process. It's not going to be easy, but we can do it. We demolish the arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So let me give you three points today, three places that we need to try to put ourselves in order to experience the difference that this can make in our lives. Here's the first one, ready? Position yourself for blessing. Position yourself for blessing. Put yourself in a position to hear from God. Put yourself in a position to talk to God. Don't allow worship to be something that you experience for 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. Allow worship to be something that you experience every day. Don't allow hearing from God to be something that you hope occurs on a Sunday during a message. But listen for the voice of the Spirit of God every day in your life. Put yourself in position for the blessing of God. And I know some of you are like, oh, this is just another message on making sure I come to church or making sure I engage church. No, it's not. But can I ask you a question? If there is this ideal that God has for us, if there is this happy and healthy that God desires for us, does that not include a degree of holiness as well? Why do we think we can live however we want, say whatever we want, hate people, whether it's in person or online or via Twitter or social media, and have the, dear God, bless me. God, thank you for this food, bless your bodies. Well, first of all, he's not going to bless that double pepperoni pizza to your body. So we need to usher that out probably. But we're asking for God's blessing, yet we don't want to live in any type of holiness that God would have for us. Now, trust me, listen, I am not saying live in the holiness of God so that you can experience all the health and wealth. No, I'm not speaking some kind of a prosperity gospel. All I know is this, the Old Testament, based on my Old Testament theology and my Old Testament exposition classes and the first thing that my prof said when I walked into class, here is the Old Testament broken down into one sentence for you, God's blessing for obedience and his cursing for disobedience. And yet somehow, somehow, we think that God will just bless whatever I do, whatever I say, however I act. It's all good with him because he's just, he's the lovey-dovey God. 
And he is loving. And in fact, part of the theology of the Old Testament is showing that when God put a curse on the people, it wasn't because he was up there with a long beard and a big stick going, waha, bam. It was because he wanted to direct them back to his blessing. Back to his blessing. Can I ask you a question? It, 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 it cracks me up that I, I listen to sports radio, okay? I, I've talked to you about that before. I, I would have, I've determined that, you know, next year if we do that 21-day fast thing, <laughs> that would be a hard one, man. <laughs> Go without sports radio for 21 days. What are you, kidding? <laughs> I love sports radio. Here's what I've determined, though. They love the National Football League. Okay, I mean, sports radio thrives on the NFL, even when it's not NFL. They're already talking about the draft that's coming up and who the Lions can get. And all. We love talking about football. Would we have the same depth of love for the game of football if all they did was take this weird pigskin oblong thing and throw it out in the middle of the field and then just say, go ahead, no boundaries, no markers, no referees, no goalposts. Just a weird shaped ball that we throw out in the middle field. Do whatever you want. And oh, by the way, it'll cost you $100 to get in here and watch this game. Would you like NFL on, 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 on your cable? You, you just pay $50, you could see all the games. But all we're going to do is throw the ball out and let them have at it. Do whatever you want. No, nobody would watch that. The game would be obsolete. It's the same thing in life. God is not, and, and what is your view of God? There again is your narrative, your perspective of how you view God. He didn't create rules so that you and I could just go, oh, life is such a bore. I gotta obey all these rules. No. Actually, God said, here's 10. And then Jesus is like, you know what? That's too difficult. Let me narrow it down to one. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He said, if we do that, everything else will take care of itself. You gotta put yourself in a position for the blessing of God. And stop thinking that just any attitude and any action warrants his blessing. You cannot have a positive life if you have a negative mind. Can I say that to you again? It is impossible for you to live a positive life if you have a negative mindset. Are you excited about the direction your life is headed? Whatever your thought process is, you're going to follow. So what is it? What is it for you? Think of it this way. Getting there should be half the fun. Getting there should be half the fun. Doesn't 
Christmas Day to a certain extent. I mean, if you, if you are one of those that enjoys the holiday season, you enjoy Christmas, doesn't Christmas Day almost become slightly anticlimactic? You enjoy the process. You like getting all the stuff out. You like it so much, you got it out this year before Halloween. You started putting stuff up. Because you like the way the house looks when you get it all decorated. You love the music so much, you started listening to it long before they did in the malls. You started shopping. You started watching your kids, your grandkids, their eyes light up with anticipation for Christmas. And Christmas Day, in a sense, almost becomes anticlimactic because we love the process. We have songs even that talk about extending the season of Christmas. That's kind of the way God looks at life. He wants us to enjoy the process. We're all about the product. And God's all about the process. We're all about the results and God is all about the relationship. we got to put ourselves in a position to experience God and experience the blessing of God. The more you do it, the more you do it, the better off life is going to be. If it's just a Sunday experience for you, you are missing out. Because God wants to be part of every day. Listen, listen, listen to this. This is kind of interesting. In, in uh, Matthew chapter, I think it's 9, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and his disciples, and they're like, hey, um, we fast all the time. How come you guys don't fast? And, Jesus, and I know some of you be like, wait a second. Didn't you just have us do a 21-day fast thing? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> but, but listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, you know, um, while the bridegroom is here, it's a party. <laughs> At some point, the bridegroom will leave, and then, then they'll fast. But for now, I'm here. Cool. Isn't it interesting that the first miracle Jesus did, he did at a, a wedding, a party. And when he got ready to leave, you know, the disciples were like, no, you can't leave. This is just getting good. But what's the last thing that Jesus said before he left? Even as he was beginning to kind of elevate in front of their eyes, he said, hey, guys, I am with you always. I am with you always. Live life as if he is. Live life as if he is with you all the time. All right, second thing. We've got we to roll on here. Give preference to the positive. Give preference to the positive. No one controls your thoughts but you. You're the only one. And what we talked about last week we find what we're looking for. We find what we are looking for. 
If you are looking when you get up in the morning to be offended, you find something to offend you. It will not take you long. Okay? My guess is you'll find the person living in your house. They'll offend you before you even leave. If you are looking to be offended, and sometimes it seems like that is what society is becoming. Just a whole culture of people that are looking to be offended. And we will be offended. It won't take much. If you are looking for a reason to be afraid, if you are looking for a reason to worry, you will find a reason to be afraid and you will find a reason to worry. If you are looking for, if you are looking at life through a pessimistic life is a glass half empty perspective, trust me, your whole day will be glass half empty no matter what comes your direction. But yet you can have someone who has the exact same type of day and their outlook on it will be totally different. It's not half empty, it's half full. If there is a partly, now I'm sure, I am sure that there is some meteorological method that they use. But if there is a day that is partly cloudy, doesn't that mean there's also a day that is partly sunny? I mean, if we're partly cloudy, we got to at least be a little partly sunny. I'm sure that there's a basis where they look at, you know, the, otherwise, what would, what would prevent them from any time that it's partly cloudy saying it's partly sunny? Their outlook. How do you look at life? What you look for, you will find. If you, here's another one. If you just decide, you know what? I'm angry. I'm just angry. I just, I wake up angry. I go to bed angry. I find things to be angry about. You'll find them. It won't take you long. You'll be able to find something to be angry about. Yet if you wake up determined, I will find the things that are beautiful. I will find the creative. I will find that which I can be grateful for. I will find that which I can be thankful for. I will find that which I can praise God for. I will find the best in people. I will find the compassion. I will find the love. Then that is exactly what you will find. And it all starts right here. But it's a battle. Why? Because the one who comes to steal and kill and destroy, he starts with our mind. If I can steal your thoughts, if I can steal your outlook, if I can steal your perspective, do you find yourself at this, as well, especially during this stretch, right? But if you've got like the weather channel or something, do you find yourself looking at the extended forecast, even though you know there's like a 30% chance it's correct? <laughs> but don't you look for, ah, 40, 40, there it is, 40. And pretty soon we're like, you know, 50, 50, it says 50. We just kind of look for that, right? And especially the north of the Mason-Dixon line. We look for those warmer temperatures. We're looking for that positive outlook. That's the way 
it is in our culture, in our society, whether people admit it or not, they're looking for something that is optimistic. They're looking for something that is opportunistic. They're looking for someone who will give them opportunity. And shouldn't that be followers of Jesus? What's your outlook? Give preference to the positive. You're going to battle with your thoughts. Are, you going to, are your thoughts going to be filled with fear? Or are they going to be filled with faith? And when you read God's word, you understand that 300, catch this now, it's 365 times in the Old and New Testament, it says don't fear. Don't be afraid. 365 times. Isn't that the craziest coincidence you've ever heard of? Or is it by chance God knew you need one a day? And what is it that pleases God? Our faith. So where are our thoughts supposed to go? Towards fear or towards faith? Are our thoughts supposed to be of how full life is or how empty life is? The mind is a battlefield and we have to give preference to the positive. Proverbs chapter 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you think you can't, you probably won't. But if you think you can, by the grace of God, you probably will. So, let me give you just a little assignment here, even right now. Think about your thoughts, okay? Think about, you're like, what? Think about the way you think. Just, just think about your thought process, okay? Do this if you're online with us too. Just take a minute and think about the way you look at life. Do you wake up and think about what you are worried and concerned about for the day to come? Or do you wake up and think to yourself, no matter what shape the world is, Jesus has come to offer a peace that passes any understanding. Do you wake up and think the negative of people? and places, and things, and relationships, and details. Do you, <laughs> do you wake up and think to yourself, I am so sick of living in this godforsaken state. <laughs> okay, how are you going to feel the rest of your day like you live in a godforsaken state? You won't see any of the beauty that surrounds you, even though millions of people travel here during the winter to get a, just a glimpse of what you and I see every day, we will forget that even the psalmist say, though my sin be as scarlet, he has made it white as snow. And does it get a little overbearing? Sure it does. But doesn't it get even more overbearing the more that we wake up every day and go, oh no. Tomorrow, oh it's Monday. It's Monday. But you know, only five days and it'll be Friday, Friday, Friday. That's how you wake up on Friday, right? It's Friday, the weekend, woohoo. And now, prior to COVID, of course, prior to COVID, we were, weren't we trying to back the weekend up to like Thursday night? It was like just, you know, a, a little preview of the weekend, Thursday night, woohoo. 
And what do we do? We waste four days. Oh, God doesn't even move on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. I just got to get through these four days and then the weekend. What's going on? We are living out the processes in our mind. We are living out the thought process that we have because our lives follow our thoughts. Do you wake up and think of things that are only temporary or do you ever wake up and think of things that will last not only the test of time but eternity? When you wake up, do you only think of yourself? Or do you by chance think of other people? Do you think of the difference that you can make in their lives, the impact, the opportunities that will come your way to intersect someone who needs the encouragement of the people of God? What do you think? Because what you think about in your mind will come out in your life. Whatever a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And, and then finally, the last point is this. What is your primary setting for God? What's your primary setting for God? Position yourself. You got to put yourself in position to experience God, to listen to God, to be part of his blessing. You got to give preference to the positive. You are the only one that controls your thoughts. It is up to you. But then finally, what is your primary setting for God? You're like, huh? Let me see if I can help you out with this. There, there's a guy, uh, my mom bought me a book actually for my birthday, part of my birthday present. And it's written by one of my favorite authors, Mark Batterson. And he tells the story of a Austrian psychologist by the name of Alfred Adler. And he is famous for beginning the sessions with his clients by asking, what is your earliest memory? What's your earliest memory? And, and of course, you know, you, you got to think about that for a minute, don't you? And so they think it through and they share some of those earliest memories. And Alfred Adler would respond with, and so life is. He was saying that his belief was that your earliest memory, good, bad, or indifferent, it had a profound impact and even somewhat of a gravitational pull on our lives. It, it had some staying power. What is your earliest memory? So I began trying to think through what is my earliest memory. Now, if you're like me, you might have some things that you think are memories, but they're really not. You've just been told the story so often that you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. No, you don't. Okay, I, I think I was like, uh, my mom can fill you in on this one, but I was one or two years old and I was in the hospital and I swear to goodness that I remember my family coming to the hospital and bringing me this Santa Claus because it was in December when I was in the hospital. I, I don't remember that. I've just heard the story long enough and I held on to the Santa Claus long enough, okay? I held on to the Santa Claus, in fact, 
all the way until my kids were born, and then they found it, and they were scared, because it kind of looked demonic. But anyways, that's just the way they made Santa Clauses back then. Um, they, they got scared of it, and we got rid of, rid of it. I, I, I could think about that. I don't remember that. But there are certain things that I do remember. I remember my dad getting me out of school at an in early, early elementary school. I remember him coming to the school, taking me out. And I was like, what's going on? We're not going to the doctor. And we went to the Tiger game. I remember that. And still, it's interesting, still today, I love going to Comerica Park. I love going to see the Pistons. I love going to see the Red Wings. That's one of my earliest memories. One of my earliest memories, in fact, I'll, I'll just, I'll preface this by saying last night, I, I had this jacket. I'm like, I want to wear this jacket. And I, I don't usually do this. Usually I take care of it on my own. But I'm like, Laura, I don't know what to wear with this jacket. So she came in and started rummaging through my closet, throwing things all over the floor that I would later have to pick up. But anyways, that's a, that's a side note. Um, she picks this thing out. She picks out this shirt and a pair of jeans, and she goes and throws it on the bed. And I'm like, I can't wear that. She's like, yes, you can. This is what you do. I said, I can't wear that. She's like, I'm taking a picture. She took a picture and sent it to my oldest daughter. We'll see what Whitney says about this. Why do I care what Whitney says about this? She's not wearing it. I can't wear that. Why can't I wear that? Because one of my earliest memories is, as a child, I was in a wedding. And I had to wear a little tuxedo. Okay? Kind of funny, J.D., I still have two tuxedos in my closet. There it is. Your earliest memories follow you through life. I wore a little tuxedo, and my dad came out. He had gotten ready. He was performing the wedding. He comes out. He took a look at me, and that's the first argument that I remember my parents getting in. And they got into a pretty good doozy because dad was so mad that I was in this black tuxedo, and I had on dark brown shoes. Oh, was he mad at mom. I don't give you money to get him brown shoes when he's wearing a tuxedo. Man, was he ticked off. So I looked at the brown and the black. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do that. <clears throat> it's weird how those earliest memories follow you through life. I was in the third grade, and Mrs. Thomas was my teacher, and she kept calling me Bill. My name's not Bill, it's Billy. Finally, they had parent-teacher conferences, and my parents went in, and so she explained, you know, he's getting older, and I keep trying to call him Bill. Why won't he let me call him Bill? At which point my dad says, might be because his dad's name is Billy. <laughs> oh, okay. Billy. It's always been, Billy's on my social security card. Those early memories, here's, here's the thing. If Alfred Adler could talk to Adam, Adam, what are your earliest memories? Now Adam, of course, didn't have the childhood, but I'm sure he could think of some things, right? <laughs> I'm sure there'd be some moments, well, he, he might talk about the animals coming through, and the first time that he saw some of them and how he came up with the name, my guess is he might talk a little bit about, you know, the day that Eve came walking out from the garden and he was like, oh, ha, 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 He wouldn't go into great detail, but, you know, I think he might think that was pretty good. My guess is, He'd talk about that day in the garden when 
the serpent came and the decision they made and how it messed them up and all this guilt came flooding over them and they had to leave the garden and oh man, those would be maybe some of his earliest memories but, but here's, here's the deal. Would he not recall that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. What was he saying? Enjoy life. He blessed them. Listen, listen. Before there was original sin, there was original blessing. Can I say that to you again? Before there was original sin, there was original blessing. That is God's default setting. He is a God who created so that he could bless. And did we mess that up? Yeah, did Adam and Eve make the wrong choice? They sure did. And the world has been spiraling out of control since. But immediately, God put into place a plan that would send his son to restore the relationship because he wanted to bless his children. And too many of you have a default setting. Your primary setting for God is of some cartoonish character up on a cloud with a long beard and a really long stick. And he just kind of looks for you and waits for you to mess up. And then he just kind of whacks you over the head with that big long stick and goes, ha, 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 ha. And that's not God. Does God have to kind of whack us upside the back of the head once in a while? Yeah. Why? Because he knows what's best for his children and he wants to go back to the default setting of blessing that he originally created them for. So how do you view God? Because that makes a difference in how you view life. Norman Vincent Peale, author from a number of years ago, wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. Still numbers among best-selling books today. But Norman Vincent Peale said... In that book, a positive mental attitude is a belief that things are going to turn out well and that you can overcome any kind of trouble or difficulty. That's a positive mental attitude. And he says anybody can have that. Well, that's good. And that's a good book. In fact, for a long time, it was required reading if you wanted to be on the staff at Hiawatha Youth Camp. You had to read the power of positive thinking. But can I tell you something? Followers of Jesus, we get to take it up to a whole nother level. 
a whole nother level. Go ahead, say that with me. Ready? Whole nother level. Way to go. You did that so well. I'm going to give you one more chance. Ready? Whole nother level in the bag, Max. Right? <laughs> Just throwing that out there, trying to speak his lingo there. You, we get to take it to a whole nother level. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, you are going to think this can never happen, but with God, all things are possible. And there are some of you who have been listening to the entirety of this talk, this message, this sermon, because, well, you're here, or you're online, and that's what you're supposed to do on Sunday, but the truth is, you are sitting there, and over, and over, and over, and over again, you're saying, I can't do this, there's no way I can do this, I can't change my attitude, I can't change my mindset, I'm this many years old, it's just the way I am. Congratulations, that's the first step towards change. You're right, you can't. Paul says you got to realize you can't fight this with just a book from Norman Vincent Peale. It'll help. But there's another step. There's a whole nother level that you could take this to. What is it? God is on my side. God wants me to change this perspective. Wants me to change this mindset. And in and of myself, it is impossible but with God, nothing is impossible. Easy? No. Paul said, this is war. It's going to be a daily battle. And in fact, he says, no shortcuts. It's going to be one thought at a time. Ugh. But listen, you built up those strongholds one thought at a time. you got to take them down one thought at a time. And slowly but surely, you will suddenly realize someday you will turn around and figure out I'm no longer get any forwarding mail. I no longer have those thoughts. Where'd they, they stopped following me. What happened? You changed your mindset. And you began to have the attitudes of Christ. <clears throat> I told you three points and an illustration and then a cloud of dust. So let me finish with this story. And again, it's one of those analogies that I just, my preference is to make it personal rather than give you, you know, a story from something else that would probably more, be more appropriate, but from somebody else's life. So I'll just tell you this one. Last night we had a little gathering of the Hiawatha staff, and uh, um, each year the staff usually gets up there ahead of time, and they take time to prepare and get ready for the summer. And some of that is downtime. And for a few years, um, they used to, at the end of an evening, just to kind of unwind, they played this game called sardines, okay? Sardines, I don't know where it got its name because it has nothing to do with fish. But sardines 
is this game where you play it in a building, usually a bigger building, and usually a dark building, okay? Well, in the midst of the Hiawatha National Forest, when you have 20,000 square feet, you don't need to worry about it being dark. It's dark. And so they turn all the lights out, and what happens is one staff member, there's like 40 people, and one staff member will go and they will hide, okay? So it's kind of like a hide-and-seek game, except instead of everyone going to hide and one person seeking, 39 people are seeking one. And if you find him, the best is if you find them quietly, because then you're supposed to kind of hunker down with them and stay there, and you wait until everybody has found And then finally, it's like, you know, I mean, when you get 30 young people, they're going to just make way too much noise, and then... The last person comes and, okay, finally we move on and that person then goes and hides and you start the game all over again. We had played a few rounds of this game. And finally, it got down near the end, you know, and we were just going to do it a couple more times. And we had this gentleman who had been on staff for a very long time. He, had, he was an executive staff member. His name was Dan. He, he, he was in his 30s. He was a school guidance counselor. And he was the guy that went and hid. While he goes and hides, everybody just kind of hangs out, you know, and you know how you count to 100, one, two, three, four, five, well, we just, you know, rather than do that, watch the clock for two minutes. And while they're watching the clock, they hatch the idea, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we just quietly left the building? <laughs> and so Dan runs and hides, and while he is hiding, 39 staff members quietly open the door and tiptoe out and up the stairs and to their cabins. Now here's the deal. Dan could have come out of his hiding place at any point in time. He was free to do so. But he stayed hunkered down there for about 40, 45 minutes until he finally thought to himself, this is not that good a hiding place. <laughs> and no one has found me. And I don't hear any noise. And then he stepped out and realized what had happened. And needless to say, he was really ticked off. <laughs> oh my goodness, we had to lead Dan to Jesus that night and everything like that. No, it was... It all worked out, and it was pretty funny, you know, two or three days later, but in the moment. Here's the thing. Dan could have escaped his hiding place, come out of the darkness at any point in time, but he stayed in there because he thought, all these people are looking for me. Some of you, you are staying hunkered down in life because of your thoughts, because of your mindset. And Jesus has come to set your mind free and to remove the thoughts from you that say, not enough, can't be done, impossible. He's paid for that a long time ago. And he's just waiting for you to make the determination, I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change the way I think. I'm done 
with the negative. I'm done with the pessimistic. I'm done with letting fear overtake my faith. I'm done not seeing people through the eyes and perspective of God. I'm done. Easy? No. Can it be done? Yeah. Because with God, all things are possible. And it starts right here. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Maybe you are here today and there has never been a moment in your life when you have invited Jesus Christ to come into your heart to forgive your past, your sin, and to save you. He wants to do that right now. He wants to begin making a difference right now. But that's the first step for some of you. You need to invite him in. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. In another portion of the New Testament, Paul says we become a new creation when we make that decision. Some of you need to make that decision and you need to do it right now. To be honest, you're there. You believe it. Down deep in your heart, you do believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And you believe that he has a better life for you than you've got for yourself. But you now need, you need to verbalize that. You need to confess that. You need to tell him that. And if that's what you want, if that's the decision you want to make today, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer that you can pray to yourself. You don't need to say it out loud. He'll hear you. But if that's your desire today, that's the decision of your heart. I simply want you to pray this prayer in your heart after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me. I believe you came and died and rose again for me. I accept you today as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin and save me. With our heads still bowed in prayer, if you prayed that prayer, would you just quietly, quickly, just slip up your hand and then put it down. It's just between you, me, and God. Just slip up your hand and put it down. Say, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer, and I invited Christ to come into my life. Just slip it up and put it down. If you're joining with us online, there's a a tab that came up on your computer that says, Today I Accepted Christ. Would you just hit that tab? Let us know of that decision. I'm not going to know your name today, but God does. And you can be sure that before this afternoon is over, I will be praying specifically for you and the decision that you just made to accept Christ as your Savior. Father, for those today who have made that decision, we give you thanks. Greatest decision they could ever make, Lord. And I pray you'd do something tangible in their lives in the next few days to help them realize the importance of what they just did, the impact of the decision they made. Lord, there are many, though, that are watching, many that are here with us, many online. They've known you. But, Lord, we have not 
fully tapped in to the grace and the freedom that you desire for us to live in. And for some, Lord, it is a thought process. It is a mindset, and we've got to change it. And we can only do it one thought at a time, and we can only do it in your divine power. Lord, for those who today are determined to take that step, I pray that you give them the practical steps that they need to make that happen. I pray, Lord, that you'd catch those thoughts that begin to enter their mind and that they'd, in a sense, just throw the rope out and pull those back. Don't let those strongholds be built up anymore, but brick by brick, may we remove those strongholds that we have allowed to be constructed, and may we allow your freedom, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your love, your peace to rush in to our heart, and into our head. May it make a difference in the way that we live. Each day is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Amen.